welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening session of Sunday the 19th of April 2009, and here to present a special talk on their work are missionaries Bill and Mary Bell. Good evening. It is good to be back, and thank you, Brother Larry, and your family's been so gracious to us every time we arrive here. Um, tonight... Uh, I will share some of the things that's happening in the States and over here, but I'd like to introduce uh, Lynn and Alan first. Now, Lynn and Alan have joined within the walls and have been very faithful and doing a great job for the last few years, but I'm going to let them handle the next little while and then I'll come in at the end. But I'd just like to say that, that uh, your support with prayers and financial support for us has been fantastic. God has opened up wonderful doors for us and only doors that he can open up. And tonight, I just want to encourage you and thank you and tell you that, well, the things I tell you will encourage you, hopefully. So I'd like to introduce Lynn. Is you come up, Alan, or just, and Lynn. So when we went back to the States, we had been going in for years here. Mary had a stroke and uh, we thank God for Lynn and Alan because they were there to step in for us here while Mary was getting well. But I'll turn you over to Lynn, okay? Thank you. I'd just like to second what Bill just said and thank you very, very much for all the prayer and the financial support that you give to our ministry. I'm very nervous, so you have to bear with my ramblings. Uh, I said to Mary before... Um, we came in. Um, will I just speak about the ministry or do I say anything about the two of us? And Mary said, no, no, they will want to hear about you. Well, I'm not really sure, but here goes. Um, um, Alan and I are from um, a small town in West Yorkshire called Castleford, uh, which is only ever known for its rugby team, I think. I don't think anybody's ever heard of it apart from that. Uh, but we're about 10 miles out of Leeds. And um, when we first became interested in going into the prisons, I say we, it wasn't actually me. It was Alan was interested in going into the prisons. And we were at that time still working. Um, we had a small bakery and we were very busy, working lots of hours. Um, we had six children. One of those children died, unfortunately, very sadly. Um, so we brought up five children, and we also fostered children during that time. We had 12 children over the years that we fostered. Um, and life just really was one big roller coaster. And before we retired, Alan said he would really like to go into the prisons. And I just kind of nodded and said, right, okay. Um, and he'd seen an article by Bill in the Yorkshire Post. Um, and it told of how Bill, who had been a Leeds United footballer and Birmingham City manager, uh, had become a Christian and started to work in the prisons. And he went to the office of the Yorkshire Post to try and find out more, but couldn't find out, and the, the guy who had written the article didn't know anything more. So we carried on working, and then Alan really needed to have knees replaced. Uh, the arthritis had got very bad, and he wasn't very well. 
And there came a time when um, he couldn't really physically manage any longer. And um, we decided we would retire. And I thought at that time that we would have this wonderful retirement where we would go on holiday, uh, several holidays perhaps, and uh, have quite a nice time. We'd had a very busy life, and uh, God obviously had other plans. And um, we did go on holiday for two weeks. And when we came back, my parents always got the local newspaper, and we used to take the newspaper after they'd finished with it to read it. And this particular day, um, there was um, an advertisement in to say that Bill was opening a women's refuge just about three miles away from us. So Alan said, we'll go there on Monday and see if we can meet Bill. And it was an absolutely awful day. It was pouring with rain and there were about three people there and Bill. And he um, made a little speech and cut the ribbon and... Um, Alan went and introduced himself afterwards and said, I would like to help out in the prisons. Is there any way that I would be able to do that? And Bill said, well, actually what we do is a couple's ministry. So I had to rethink. <laughs> I had to rethink um, because that then involved me. Uh, it didn't just involve Alan. So... Bill said, I'll give you a ring, and we'll see if we can meet up. And we duly met up. And it's been an absolutely amazing time. It's, it, the journey is truly wonderful. And um, I thought that um, maybe I could go in and make the tea when we went into prison. Not so. <laughs> it wasn't to be. Uh, so for the first few times, we went in and we were quite happy to sit and listen to Bill because he's a wonderful speaker. Uh, and that was lovely. We could have sat at his feet and listened to that all, you know, forever. We could have just gone in and carried the bags and done that. But that wasn't what God intended either. Um, and one day Mary said, I would like you to give your testimony. And I said, but... I don't really have a testimony. And she said, yes, you do. Everybody does. So she said, you give your testimony to the men. And it was a big group. So I went in there and I could barely speak. I was so nervous. I was absolutely terrified. And the men there were wonderful. They hung on my every word. And when I said that we foster children, that really set up a whole new ball game because... So many of them had been through the system, and so many of them had come from dysfunctional homes and had always struggled with difficult backgrounds. So that was wonderful because we had a connection. Um, and we find now, because really, I, I have to say that we were just Sunday Christians up to that point. We worked hard all week, and we brought up our children, and we went to church on a Sunday, and that was about the limit of it. There was nothing really in between. And the fellowship that we have with the men in the prisons is really something else. It's like 
no other fellowship. And it has increased our faith tremendously. It really has. Uh, it's been a wonderful time. The men appreciate the fact that we turn up week in, week out. But I have to tell you, we couldn't do it without the help of people like yourselves who support us financially and with your prayers. We really couldn't do it. So thank you again. Um, because of the, with the financial support that you give us, we are able to take into the prisons, we're able to take in Bibles, um, and we're able to, to send in birthday cards, and we're able to give out prayer cards and bookmarks on a regular basis. Things like that are very important to lads inside. It doesn't sound very much, but a prayer card or a bookmark is something that they treasure. It, it really is. So they, they appreciate small things like that. And, and so the financial support you give us helps with things like that. And then when men are released, if they go on to different prisons and they want to stay in touch and they want us to visit, then we do that. So there again, your money helps us with, with petrol. You know, we're able to do things like that. We're able to visit them in different prisons. And the other thing we're able to do is to keep the contact when they come out of prison. We're able to go and meet them wherever they're at. When they first come out of prison, that is the hardest time for them because they have very little support, most of them. Some of them are fortunate and their families are still supporting them. But the majority of the men who come out of prison don't have that luxury. They have very little money. And the thing that they really need, and, and by the time they've been in our groups, they realize that they do need that fellowship, the kind of fellowship that we take for granted within our churches, the support that we give to each other. They don't have that. And they're starting out, lots of them, for the first time to find that kind of fellowship. So they need to find a church like yours. They need to find somewhere where someone will welcome them with open arms and lift them and keep them there because it's within those first few weeks when they come out that they struggle most and they fall back down and they go back inside. So if we can help them in some small way, it might just be keeping in contact by telephone or by letter and then going and just taking them out for lunch somewhere, just something that makes them know that they're important and that we care about them. Um, we... Uh, we have a, a growing list of men who keep that kind of contact and who ask if we will meet up with them. Um, I, I will give you a brief outline of just one or two of the men who keep in contact. Um, next week, on Tuesday, actually, we shall be taking the train down to London uh, where we will be meeting up with a young man Rob, who is now living in a Christian rehab in Leytonstone. He was a very heavy drug user 
And when he was first released from prison, we didn't think we would be able to guide him. We really felt that maybe we would lose him. Even though we stayed in touch and we met up with him on a few occasions in Nottingham. But after a, a period of prolonged silence, when we were convinced that we'd lost him, he wrote to us and told us about his acceptance into Christian rehab. That was over a year ago now. And we're in regular contact with him, but this will be our first visit since he's moved to London. He's so proud of his achievements. And he's now able to work full-time in the charity shop, which is run by the, his organization. And so we're very proud of him too. It's the first real job he's had, and he's in his mid-30s now. So, so this, is, this is wonderful. You see, the Lord never let him go. He never let him go. And we tell all the men that when they feel they've let God down. We say, God will never let you go. He's waiting for you to find your way back. And he really was. A little while ago, we helped another young man from Middlesbrough step out on his faith journey outside of prison. Dean came from a very similar background to Rob. And we were able to help him find a church. We went over to Middlesbrough the first weekend he was out of prison. And the church has been wonderful, just like your church here. It's welcomed him with open arms. And he's been able to surround himself with Christian friends instead of the company of other drug users, which was his way of life before. Now, we're obviously not able to be with these boys the whole time because most of them live too far away. But we are able to stay in touch. And the most important thing is that we're able to hand them on to Christian people like yourselves. We're able to, to give them over to that loving family of another Christian fellowship, which is so important to them. Um, now... We had another young man, Jason. Um, he just happened to mention one day in Wheelston Prison um, to Alan, who's really ever so good with the men, and he said, I would like to be a jockey. And Alan said, well, are you really serious? You know, because a lot of them say, I would like to do something or other. And then... The following week, they've changed to something else, you know. Uh, but yes, he would really like to be a jockey. So Alan said, well, if you're really serious, Jason, when you get out, I will help you to secure a place at Doncaster Racing College. Um, and he duly did this. And he was from, he's from Darlington. So Alan met him in Doncaster, met him off the train. And he said when he took him in, he could barely write his name. He was so nervous. He was so scared. He'd never done anything like this before. Uh, but he was accepted onto the training program. And this was wonderful because actually the cutoff uh, age for boys being accepted on and being given some kind of financial support was 19 and Jason was 23. And they knew that he'd been in prison. It wasn't a problem. They gave him the chance because he'd been in prison which was, we thought was exceptional, you know, that was really, really good. Um, uh, he had a few setbacks, 
just a few. He was um, he, he did he did eight weeks, and the the course was ten weeks long. And then he invited us to the parents' open day, which was wonderful. We were preparing ourselves for that, and then we had a phone call to say he'd been expelled for fighting. But anyway, uh, we kind of kept the contact, and um, he uh, he he. He, came, he went back home, and that wasn't a good time. That was a difficult time. He was living in somebody's garage for a while, which was really not the best thing. Um, and we really thought that we'd, we'd lost him, that, you know, he wasn't going to make it. And then we got a phone call to say that he'd actually been offered a job in Lambourne with a trainer, with a big trainer. And... Uh, He's actually moved on, uh, and Doncaster Co College, to their credit, awarded him his MVQ, even though he hadn't quite finished the course. They did give him his MVQ. And he now has four horses that he looks after on a regular basis, and just a few weeks ago, one of his horses won <laughs> a race. So he was just so proud of this. He got a little trophy, and uh, he put his photographs on the... Uh, on the internet, and that was lovely. Uh, he's been out of prison two years now, so that's really quite an achievement, and I think his family really can't quite believe it. I, I speak to his mum, and she's still waiting for that phone call that says he's fallen down. But he's, we met up with him in, at New Year, and for the first time ever, he was able to buy Christmas presents for his family with money that he'd earned not that he'd come by by some other means. He was just so proud. It was a wonderful time for him. Um, now, the letters that we receive are just so numerous. I have brought some of them with me. There's nothing personal in there. They are just wonderful letters. And you, would see, you will see, I, I will put them out later on afterwards, and you, you can look through them. Some of them, as you can see, the, the young men struggle to read and write in lots of cases. Some of them are just totally different and they're very articulate and we get some absolutely wonderful letters. But it doesn't matter because it's the essence of those letters that's the important thing. It's what they're saying and the way that they can express themselves. And lads who've never, ever before been into a church or opened a Bible speak about feeling Christ's love, because that's what we do. Week in, week out, we take the love of Christ into these men who often have such loveless lives. That's what we do. And the rest really is up to the Lord. We can teach them Bible. We can show them how to live their lives. But the thing is, the love that we take, that unconditional love, which is the love that Christ has for us. We take that into the prisons, and the men recognize that for what it is. They recognize that love, and that's the thing that is the important factor in the work that we do. Um, now, the, the, we have more setbacks than we have successes. I have to say, we have lots of setbacks. 
but the few successes that we have are our lifeline. They really are. And they are just truly wonderful. It wouldn't matter if it was just one, because that would make it all worthwhile. It is, it is just absolutely amazing. And it keeps us focused on the work that we do. Now, Bill and Mary have been our inspiration. They really, really have. They, we, we could sit and listen to Bill and Mary all day. Um, they, they have given us the, the strength to go on with the work that we do. Even when times are sometimes not so good, we, when we think about the, the work that Bill and Mary do, it gives us so much hope and so much strength. Um, and I'm so grateful that God put it, pointed us in the direction that we've gone. Um, we've been drawn into the lives of these men who, have so, who so need the love of Christ. It's the thing that they really, really need more than anything. It gives them that hope that we all need. The thing that we all search for is love, and that's the thing that we take in with us. So thank you again for all your love and all your support and all your prayers. It truly is wonderful. Thank you. Well, I could have sat and listened to Lynn all night. And, and it's just so good, isn't it, to see what God's doing in a couple's life um, just because they were open and willing to do something for Christ. Um, as you can see, we put, I, I, we usually, I usually wear a Colin Tyler brother Larry, but, but tonight we, we, we walk around like this in the prisons. We wear a, a, maybe a polo shirt or this, and the men can see us a mile away, and that was intentional because when you work in a, a, a prison, um, I just don't want to wear blue because they think I'm one of the staff. But I've gone into other prisons, and Lynn and Alan have gone in, and men that have been transferred straight away, they say, oh, you're from within the walls. And it's wonderful to see how God's using it. So that's why we're wearing these uh, colors tonight. I just want to share a few things with you tonight. Uh, but first of all, I'd, I'd like to just read a passage from the book of Isaiah, and it's chapter 6. Now, when I see and I read this, um, not only does it lift me, but also probably in, in my own life, it, it, it reflects in myself, how Mary and I became Christians, and maybe how you at the same time had experienced Lord, the Lord's touch. In chapter 6, verse 1, it says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord lifted upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, 
because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King and the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphims, uh, and one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar, and he laid it upon my lips, and said, Lo, thou hast touched my lips, and thy iniquity is taken away, and my sins are purged. When I read that, I think about the day that Christ came into my life. I think about the day my life changed, and the Spirit of God touched my heart. Now, let me just go back, because I've got some members here that maybe were not with here before, Brother Larry. But when I was here, I, I, I had been involved in professional sport for 21 years. And the latter part was in the coaching and the managing. And I was at Birmingham here for eight years. Now, during that eight years, Mary and I and the family all went to church. Everybody knew we went to church. You know, I, Willie Bell goes to church. Um, I went to the Church of England uh, in the village I was in at the other side of the city. Uh, I was confirmed, I was baptized, I was lost. And as I sat in the church on a Sunday morning, I was thinking about my job. I was addicted to professional sport. I would sit in the pew and plan my training sessions for Monday morning. I'd walk into work and Mary and the children would come in as I'd walk in, the person at the door, bless her, or a man would say, and I'd say, good morning. And as I'd walk in, I'd say to the children, now when you sit in there, shut up. Don't make a noise. <laughs> I was putting the fear of death into the children. You're in church, don't make a noise. And I sat there and my mind wandered and I was planning my Monday sermon. It's service. And I, I think maybe some of the men can relate to that in here before you became Christians. You maybe come into church, but you're thinking about something else. And that was my way of dealing with my problems. I'd just sit quietly and try and work them out. Totally obsessed. And then, like all managers, I got fired. And it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Because what happened was, when I got fired, a friend came to me, a local man that I was living beside over in the other side of the town said, Bill, you, you should go for a vacation, get away. And, and he could see that I was totally obsessed. And thank goodness Mary would take the children aside and the game wasn't mentioned in the house. But when I come in at night, if we lost, I was like a bear with a sore head. And it's sad to say that Mary would get the children off the bed if I was coming in after losing. And if we won a game, I'd come in and... It was Pizza Hut, wasn't it, or something? Kentucky chicken. Isn't it awful, though, you're on a roller coaster like that? And it's happening today with the, with the, the other guys you see. Uh, but, but the thing was that Mary was able to keep the children away from the, the game. And even today, uh, even when they were children, they weren't really too excited. They wouldn't cross the road to go to a game. But they were kept away from the game. But after getting fired, my friend said to me, Bill, you and Mary should go for a vacation. 
to Ohio, never been to America. I'd been to America, but never Ohio. You must go there, un unwind, and come back and get another job. And I did. And <clears throat> he looked after the children. And where do you think we went in the Sunday morning church? Because it was a habit. And we went to a local church in Ohio. And as I walked in the doors, there was a lady, and she had a big smile on her face. And it wasn't a, good morning. good morning. And I walked in and I thought, this isn't, a, I'm no use to this. Are you visiting? I said, yes, we're, we're on vacation. Oh, that's wonderful. I hope you have a wonderful day. And we came in and we'd come in early. And, and, and a young lady came home and said, look, we're having a little prayer meeting before the church service to uplift the service. Would you like to join us? And I said, okay, never prayed before. And we went over and we went into a little room and, and she, we introduced ourselves as about six people and I'd never heard anybody pray for me before, and Mary. Dear Lord, pray that Bill and Mary have a wonderful vacation. They didn't know we were lost. And I sat there and I thought, nobody's ever prayed for me before. And you know, the love of Christ started to work in my heart. I could see Christ in these people. We went into the service and we sat, and I still remember where I was sitting. Can't even remember what the pastor was saying. And as I looked around, I thought, you see, my mind was clear. The job was gone. And I thought, well, what am I doing here? You know, I'm sitting here, and for the first time, I'm not even thinking about my problems. And as I looked up at the pastor, behind him was a cross, and I looked at the cross, and God's word didn't come back void. Even though I could say the creed backwards, it started to penetrate my heart. And I realized what Christ had done in the cross for me. And I, I, I had traveled all over the world, and if the plane had gone down, I was lost for eternity. I was going to hell. And I dropped my head, and I thought, oh, Lord, what have I done? And in my own way, I... I just asked the Lord to forgive me for ignoring him and, and for the life that I had been involved in with sport and the one-track mind. And tears came to my eyes and I turned and I looked at Mary and she was crying. God had touched her heart. And we came out of that little church and Mary said, do, do you feel like I feel? And I said, yeah. And, and it was the spirit of God was moving in our hearts. And, and I said, say, I hope it never leaves me, and he never has. And coming out of that church, made our way back to England, and the game had become third in my life. You see, it used to be the game, my family and God was somewhere down the line. Coming back to England, the Lord was first, my family was next, and the game was just there. And it was wonderful. I went straight into another job, and I, I didn't sit like that anymore. And I sat, and I left it with the Lord, and we did well. I, I, I just didn't care what club I went to because I only wanted to go and enjoy the game. I, I took a job with Lincoln City. They were at the bottom of the league, and I sat and enjoyed the game, and the Lord just lifted the team. But something happened in my life that, that, that uh, changed my whole thinking about the game. I, 
I, I didn't get involved anymore with, I call it industrial language. Oh, they swear like troopers, even the young apprentices. And I said, hey, we shouldn't be, you don't need to do that. And they're looking at me as if I'm off the wall. God would begin to change my life. And Mary and I and the family left and we went to America, 14 suitcases. I left Lincoln City. We were third bottom of the league. We went to the top six of that season. And then the next season we started off, it wasn't the same. And I left. 14 suitcases, we went to America. Now, when I got to America, let me say this. I had the joy of the Lord. And, and for most of my time, 21, 20 years, I was in a Christian university. It was like being in seventh heaven. But you know what happened? You sit back and you enjoy the benefits of the Lord. And I was seeing other teams accepting Christ. We'd play them. I was a coach at a Christian university. And, and I'd see that. But I was sitting back and I was enjoying the benefits that the Lord gives us, the joy, the fellowship, the church. And then after a while, many years, what, what was the year, May, I took my heart attack? It was about 20 years ago, 20 years ago, 20, just under 20 years ago. I took a heart attack. I didn't know what it was. And I went into the hospital and the, I was told that um, I, w I was uh, an accident waiting to happen. I had a, to get a quadruple bypass the next morning. He said, the, the, the surgeon said, I, I don't know what, how you're making it. He said, three of your veins are closed and one's partially closed. He said, we're operating tomorrow morning. And then as I read this passage here at the end of this part of Isaiah here, it reminded me, and, and myself and Mary were sitting in the bed, and I said to Mary, hey, I can't believe it. I've given an operation tomorrow morning. She turned and she said, oh, she said, um, but just think if something happens to you, you're going to see Jesus. She tried to cheer me up. <laughs> just think you're going to see the Lord. I say that, Mary, I'm not frightened to die, and I know I'm going to heaven. I know that. I know that I know but I'd like to see the grandchildren grow up. So we, Mary sat in the bed and I said, and I wasn't bargaining with God, but I said, Lord, I told Mary, I said, Mary, I don't have much to lay at the Lord's feet if he calls me home tomorrow morning, really. And we both sat there and we prayed and we said, Lord, and this is what really blew my mind because I... I used to sit in a church and watch missionaries come up. And the pastor would stand and say, we need to pray for this couple because they're on their way to Africa, or they're on their way to China, or they're on their way to some other country. And I used to sit in the back and think, they must be off the wall. I mean, who wants to go to places like that? You see, that was missing in my life. What was missing in my life was I never said to the Lord, I'm totally available. See, there's, I think there's two stages. I think there's a stage in your life where you know you're lost, just like I'm reading in this passage here, and you know you're a sinner, and you know that Christ died for you, and you get saved, and you've got the joy of the Lord. But the next stage, I believe, is 
I'm totally available. And, and I said that, Mary and I said that, Lord, we are totally available. Just like, like it says here, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. I didn't know it was the prisons. If somebody had said to me years before that you're going to prisons, I'd say, you must be joking. It could have been across the street. It could have been where your workplace is. You know, if you're available, God will use you where you're at. I got through the operation, I got home, and I sat at home, and, and Mary and I were, I was recovering. Five days later, I'm sitting with my pajamas on, and two letters came in from England, from two old Christian inmates, one in Long Latin and one in the Vernon uh, Dorset. And they had read in a magazine that I had left the country as a Christian has gone to America. Somehow they found, they even found my address. And that, these letters, two letters came in. Mary brought the mail in and we read them and it said, two older men were appealing to Mary and I to come across and go into Felton Prison near London, ten young men had hanged themselves. These were Christian men concerned about the souls of the young men. They were hanging themselves. And I said to Mary, I mean, I'm only out of hospital. I said, do you think God's moving already? I can't believe this. I said, well, we'll put it to the test. And they even put the governor's name and phone number in. And we got up early, and it was in Virginia, we were up at four in the morning, which was nine o'clock in London, and Mary was there, and we got on the phone. And as I dialed the number for the prison, who answered it? The governor. Joe Whitty here. And I said, oh, Mr. Whitty, I said, um, my name's Willie Bell, and, and uh, I'm in the United States, and I was just wondering if um, we could come and maybe work with a young man, you know? And he said, uh, I know who you are. Uh, when can you come? And I'm looking at Mary, and I've still got this. I'm healing. I'm like this at the phone, like like I'm about 110. And I said, "Well, I'll need to ask the Chancellor if 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 I can get some time. As soon as you get time, let me know. Come across. You can do what you want." And little did I know that night before, a young boy of 15 had hanged himself again. It's the biggest young offenders in Europe. And Mary and I got permission for the Chancellor and I had two months off in the summer and I was healed up and he said, of course you go. And we went across and met the governor, met the chaplain. He was very helpful. He was glad we were there. And we said, and we bought trunks with Bibles. And he said then, and Joe Whitty said, look, you and Mary, wander around, do what you want, go and get the keys, go through security, I'll see you when you leave, and he let us go. We didn't even know the meal times. And Mary and I wandered the halls, the, the, the spurs at Feltham. And every day as we walked through, it's the mum and dad image, Lynn and Alan, Mary and I, they were attracted because they hadn't seen a stable couple. And do you get paid for coming here? <laughs> do you work for them? And they ask you all these questions. When you're in after three or four days, they can't wait to come around you. Come and have a cup of tea. And, and the social services, everybody had been trying to figure out why the hangings. And God had put us in a strategic position. 
and the young men started, we got to talk about the Lord and we got them all together and straight away they were open and they started to tell us why they were hanging themselves. The boys were hanging themselves. All the inmates in that prison were making Ouija boards and they were all talking to the devil. The devil was having a field day. Let me tell you something. I used to think that was a joke. These young guys were shouting across, when are you going to top yourself? The old devil was working overtime in Felton Prison. And, it, and after about four or five weeks, they were getting these things taken away, destroyed. And the chapel started to grow. And the young men were getting excited. And made them, we have never done it since. We never got permission since then, but... The second time we went back, we brought trunk loads of T-shirts. You're not going to believe this from the United States. Green shirts that they could, if they, if they were Christians, they could wear them. And these inmates were walking around Feltham, and it says, in Feltham I met the Lord in a big white dove. And they were walking around. And I said to me, it's, it's, I mean, today they, they'd, they wouldn't allow it. And Joe Whitty allowed them to wear these green shirts, and they were going around with the dove, I met the Lord in Felton. And there was a revival in Felton. And Mary came back. That's what God wants us to do. In 1993, we founded Within the Walls. And uh, since then, up until Mary got a stroke, we had covered 26 prisons in Britain. 26 prisons. And I'm just... Unfortunately, we didn't have Lynn and Alan because they were asking us to come into different prisons. Word had got round that things were happening. It was God. It was God that was moving. And we moved, went down to London and met the chaplain general. He was a godly man. And he, we came in and he says, now tell me about your happy ministry. And I told him and he said, that's what it is. He said, it's a couple always together. That's the impact. And it works in the women's prisons too. Since then, there's been many things. I'm now getting in South Carolina. And, of course, we're in when we're over here with Lynn and Allen. But it's the same the world over. It's the love of Christ that touches people's hearts. I don't want to keep you too long, but I would like to just say to you this, that as you, as you look at... Uh, the guys that are in prison here, and, and Lynn and Alan was telling you about them. When I go over there, they're just the same. Let me just tell you about one or two of the guys that, that we've met. And I may have mentioned one or two before, we went in, but these stick in my mind and my heart. And Mary and I often talk about them. We always, we always think that we just pray that the Lord's still leading them and guiding them with their families. Excuse me. <coughs> when we went into Bullingdon Prison, <coughs> excuse me, we met a traveller. Now he was he was a his name was John, and he was working in the chaplain's office, and we befriended John. And I remember one one day. Uh, we met him and he started telling us about the Lord and what the Lord had done in his life. And uh, a few weeks later, the chaplain came up and said, let me tell you what happened. He said, we've got a guy, and we met him. This guy inside the prison, he wouldn't bathe. 
So the men were manhandling him and taking him in the shower. Nobody wanted to be near him. And his roommate got moved on, his cellmate got moved on, and what happened was John went up to the officer and said, I'll have him in with me. And he said, you must be joking. He said, no, I'll, I'll have him in with me. See, John had a heart for the Lord. Nobody else wanted to talk to this guy. He wouldn't but bathe. And the chaplain told us that uh, after he was in John's cell for about three or four days, he went along one night to lift the flap. He was going to give him something to do tomorrow morning, the next morning, he said. So as I was pushing it through, I lifted the flap, he said, and John was on his knees bathing this man's legs. His legs were ulcerated. That's why he didn't go in the shower. And John was binding his legs after cleaning them. And, and I thought, isn't that what the Lord would do? You do unto the least of these, my brother. You do unto me. And, and people think, oh, he's in prison. Yeah, he's in. How many of us would go and bathe somebody's legs that's ulcerated and you don't even know him? He's knowing your family. And that was Christ in action inside the prison. I always remember things like that. And that has an impact on your life. But it also has an impact in the staff. And I, I remember we went into the young offenders in Leicester. And we went in there. We were invited. I was invited to come and speak to the inmates. Uh, so we're to report for tea at the chaplain's house, just round the corner for the prison. And we went to the door, and these two young girls come to the door, and they were full of joy. They were so excited that we were coming for tea. They had set the table, and I walked in the house, and they were saying, you'll be sitting here, and, and Mary, you'll be sitting there. And they, I, I said, they, okay, where's your, oh, my dad's coming now, he's coming now. And he's, the, the chaplain came in, and we sat down. I said, where's your wife? Well, he said, didn't you know? He said, just over a week ago, my wife and the baby got killed just up the road. They had, they had temporary traffic lights, and both were at green, and she came through, and they got hit head on, and the baby and his wife died. And here was a young girl's full of joy, and Mary and I, what do you say when you're sitting like that? And that night we went into the prison, and, and I remember finishing, and, uh, and we had guys that were just in waiting in, their waiting in their sentence, and then with the inmates with their, their blues on. And I said, you know, lads, I said, you know, maybe some of you have been thinking about accepting Christ. Anyway, at the end, I remember telling the young men to, you know, invite Christ into your heart. Just, just tell them you're a sinner. And when I said... Dear God, you're, I'm a sinner. I said, just say this in your heart. God knows your heart. The officer at the back started to shout, Dear God, I'm a sinner. And he went through the prayer of salvation and the young men were standing and they were looking around and he was just standing there. And, and when the service was finished, I went up to him and I said, I said, I said, what can I say? I said, that's fabulous. I said, you become a Christian. I said, now, tell me what happened. You know, what was the build-up to it? He said it was him, the chaplain. He said, if I'd have lost my wife and my child, he said, I'd have cracked up. 
He said, he shows the love of Christ in here. He said, I want what he's got. And sometimes you think life's hard, but when you see and hear things like that, it's got to make an impact in your life. It's got to make an impact in your life. But just to finish, like, like Lynn said, it's no all, it's no all rosy. Little Daryl, with a little, Lynn and Alan have their group, Daryl, always smiling. He comes in and he, he's at home in the prison. It's his home. And as he comes in, as he comes into the prison, he sits down. You can't help but hear him and see him. And it's not that long ago he was out. He's back in again. But Mary and I sat one night and he wanted to accept Christ as his Savior. And it was a tremendous experience, wasn't it, mate? And he sat there and he was, he was, in, a cold, he was in a cold sweat. And then the tears came to his eyes and he accepted Christ. And he said, I'm going to go and call my mum and dad and tell them that I'm sorry and my life's changed. And we got into the meeting that night, the night we, had, we stayed in, the meeting, we all sat there, and I said to the group, Daryl, tell, tell them what happened today. And he said, I've accepted Christ today. And they all said, praise the Lord. And then tell them what happened afterwards tonight when you made the phone call. And he said, my mum and dad said, I don't want to hear you talking like that. I don't want to hear you saying you're sorry. And they had a go at him. You're getting soft. And he said, well, he said, I still love you. And, and he said to the men, but what I'm going to do when I get out, I'm not going home. I still love my parents, but I'm not going home. Unfortunately, because of that relationship and no other family members out, he's back in again. That's the kind of people we're dealing with. And that's why... If you cross paths with boys like that, embrace them. Show them the love of Christ. Because if you don't, they're going to go back in again. They need that love and support. Let me just finish by reading this verse. And this is from 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. And this was manifested, the love of God towards us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. We might live through him. God's set out his master plan, and we're a valuable part of that. But if I can just say again, are you totally available? Are you totally available? Yeah, well, I, I'm running out of time. Uh, Mary says, tell me about South Carolina. Well, when Mary took her stroke, we, eight years were in all the time here, and then, of course, Lynn and Alan were then starting to come in with us and, and took over, and, and Mary took a stroke. We went back for a holiday, and Mary took a stroke, and it was like... We knew that she couldn't get around. She couldn't get around like she used to. She's getting around better now. So I get involved in South Carolina right away with the prisons. Men are the same. And let me tell you something. 
again, I want to thank you because within the walls is now starting to move in the United States. In South Carolina, I go into two correctional centers, 1,800 men in one and about 2,000 in another. And God has opened up a wonderful door. In fact, one of the prisons has asked me to be a voluntary assistant chaplain, which would be wonderful because it's hard to get around in there unless you're on the chaplain staff. But the men in there are wonderful. And I remember not too long ago, in fact, just before I left, I was sitting with a group <coughs> and we go in and we follow up. I was following up with these men. I said, what happened this week? Any good things happened this week? And one man said, yeah, but can I tell you, Bill? I said, sure. <coughs> he said, I've been in 16 years. I've never had a visitor. And the men never twigged because a lot of them has been in for longer than that. And he said, I've been in for 16 years. And do you know this? He said, just the other day, the officer came along and said, you, you've got visitors. And he said, not me. Not me. He said, yeah, you, let's go. He said, and he went along to the visitor center. He said, and his uncle and his aunt and his nephew were there. He said, and as I walked through the door, he said, they just ran and hugged me. It was like the prodigal son. He hugged me, he said, and he said, the tears were spilling, he said, and the joy it was in that room. And I said, 16 years. I said, how, how did, what happened? It's God, he said. It's God. He said, because up until just over a year ago, I was not a Christian. He said, I accepted Christ and God's opened up a big door for me. He said, it's God that's moving in my life. And when you sit and you hear that, a man that's had 16 years without a visitor, and you see God moving after he accepts Christ. Boy, I come out of that prison, I felt like seventh heaven. I get the blessing. And then I sit in a group with the men and we, I discussed fear. I said, you know, we've all got fear of something. And I got back and I sat with them on the group with, them, uh, uh, with Pop. And I said, now tell me. I turned to this young guy and I said, what's your biggest fear? I, I don't have any fear. I said, you must be frightened of something. No, no, I said, when you'd been in a, a breakout, he says, when you're in the yard, they said, and your buddies are getting shot round about you, and you're lying and you hear the bullets, he said, what's it to be frightened of? And I'm thinking, never even thought about that. But these men are listening, and these men are turning to Christ. See, you don't know what's going on in their lives. I never ask them, they tell me. And the young man that just accepted Christ before I left the last time, he was sitting there and I said to him, son, have you ever been to church? No, but I'm, I've been thinking about it. I says, why? He says, well, I used to steal cars, you know. I'm in here for stealing cars. He said, and as I was, before I got put in, he said, I'm, I'm flying with this car. He said, and I'm looking in the mirror and the cops are after me. He said, and as I, I'm taking the bend. He said, I'm flying. He said, I went right off and said, right into the river. He says, and as I'm up in there and I'm going into the river and shouting, God help me. And he said, and I hit the water, he said, and somehow they got me out. He said, God help me. And I'm here to find out this God. What can he do for me now? And he's coming to Christ. God's drawn him in different ways. So even in South Carolina, it's just the same as here. They're all the same. God is here. He's in South Carolina. He's here. Here now. Working his people's lives and their hearts.
And I could go on and tell you a lot about what's happening here. We've just now tried, uh, I put two letters in, and Lynn and Alan will be part of this. We're calling it the Samaria Project. I don't think it's been done here. And I've, the, the chaplains have asked for a proposal. I've given them the proposal. And what we'd like to do, and if it's to be in six months' time, we'll do it. Come in and take a bunch of men that maybe they've got problems with, Maybe they can't, They don't want to let them mix with a lot of inmates. We're going to try and get them together for three full days every day and feed them. I said to them, we'll feed them. We'll bring them in and we'll have them every day and there'll be cookies and coffee available all the time and groups will go with Lynn and Alan, Mary and I, and with another couple and the chaplain and we'll sit there and I guarantee because of that contact and then the, the normality and the love of Christ, men will come to Christ, because I've seen it. And that gives you something to pray for. It's called the Samaria Project. And we're trying to get it in two prisons in Yorkshire. And if it takes off, we pray that it can open up down here. But it's, it's going to be tried. And, and if they'll allow that, I think it'll be wonderful. So thank you for your support. You've been so good, Brother Larry. I can't, I can't express it enough. I could tell you a lot of stories, but I know that when you go to heaven, you'll see these men. You'll meet these men. God's done a mighty work. And I just pray that uh, if, if some of you here haven't said to God, I'm totally available, then you're missing out. You're missing out. You've got the joy of the Lord. You know you're going to heaven. You know that. You know that you know because Christ paid the penalty for you. But do you sit and wonder, why, why is my life, why am I spinning my wheels? Because you've no hope up for God. Don't go looking under stones. Ask him. Say, Lord, I am totally available, and you watch him move in your life. Thank you, Brother Larry.